Leadership, potentially a shapeless concept, government, perceived as overwhelmingly large. Put the two together, government leadership, and you distill it down to big and cold. Instead, are you interested in a space where government leadership might be personal and warm? Maybe that would look like a one-on-one conversation with those we choose to speak for us in our own neighborhoods. We see them walking their dogs, shopping in our grocery store, talking with neighbors in the coffee shop, cheering from the little league sidelines, witnessing community tragedy, solving problems, and generating opportunities. From Studio 67, I'm Ginger Delegal, and this is Pack and Chat, 670 seconds with Florida's local leaders. We are in our third season of Pack and Chat, brought to you by Studio 67. This season features a bundle of interviews with emerging and new leaders in the association. They're a seasoned bunch of local and state leaders with a unique perspective on county officials and Florida in general. We're excited to bring these conversations to you. Today in the studio, we have Commissioner Renee Flowers from Pinellas County, a large urban-sized county on the Gulf Coast of the state. Commissioner Flowers is no stranger to local government in Florida. She has served in leadership at the national level as well, and she serves on innumerable regional councils and boards, and in her spare time, she is pursuing a doctorate degree. Welcome, Commissioner Flowers, to the studio. We're glad to have you. Thank you. I'm excited about being here. Wonderful. And we're glad to have you in town this week, too, for our legislative day. We had a great turnout yesterday. Yes. Exciting day. um, Challenging day, um, but um, impactful. And I think we made somewhat of a difference. Fantastic. So let's kick off our conversation this morning just talking to our listeners about Pinellas County. What what do you want everyone around the state to know about Pinellas? Well, um, I was born and raised in St. Petersburg, so I am one of those original natives. Um, my mom moved to St. Petersburg from Moultrie, Georgia with her mother, which is my grandmother. My father was originally from Gainesville. They met at Gibbs High School, and, you know, the story goes on from there. Um, But Pinellas has really grown. Some people may remember the history. Pinellas was once Hillsborough County, and then they uh, requested to uh, become a charter county and become their own county. But I tell you, the tourism industry is just absolutely marvelous there. Um, The beautiful beaches, the weather, um, so many different things to do. We have so many museums and cultural arts and the walkability for downtown as well as in our urban core now, being able to go to a restaurant and sit outside and just enjoy the weather and have a really good time or listen to some jazz or uh, go to a poetry reading. So Pinellas is very diverse. It has a varied culture. And um, I don't think there's ever a moment where you can't find something that interests you to do. Sounds wonderful. Um, and I, I noticed when the association was even in Pinellas uh, the week after Thanksgiving this past year for our legislative conference, the diversity of people that were just even around the conference space that we had. And it's interesting that you mentioned walkability because one of the things that struck me was how many people were on bicycles, mm-hmm. how many people were clearly living either, you know, in some multifamily units that were right around the hotel where we were and had just gone to the grocery store and were taking their groceries home, but on foot. Um, 
lots of that you could see and then all generations as well um so i certainly saw that with my own eyes most recently back in november yes um electric bikes have really taken off and under uh, the leadership of then mayor rick christman he really embraced different modes of transporting yourself around downtown other than using a vehicle park your car and take advantage of the full experience and so um you can check out an electric bike um, and it unlashes itself and you can ride around downtown or take a ride on the trail and look at the beautiful nature that we have and then park that bike. You could also do bicycles. They were turquoise in color. Um, you have persons on scooters. You have them on skateboards. Um, and then, of course, you have those of us that just prefer walking for safety reasons. But um, there are a number of modalities that you can take just to get around the city of St. Petersburg and not just downtown, but also um, in our um, urban core area, which is really wonderful. People get an opportunity to see the rich history of all of the different segments of our community. Sounds great. So, um, you know, Moultrie is right up the road from us here in <laughs> Tallahassee. So I feel like some of your DNA and your roots are actually up here with us in North Florida. So you're clearly a very accomplished person and you could have gone anywhere in the country and probably around the world um, to be an adult in your life. So what's kept you in Florida? Ginger, that makes me feel good. She called me international. Yeah. Um, what kept me here is just the roots of my family. Um, my grandmother was the second oldest of 18. She only had a third grade education. Her oldest brother was a slave. He was the son of the slave master. Um, and so my grandmother worked to make sure that her siblings were able to go to college. They all worked to make sure that my mother could go to college. And then, of course, they all worked to make sure that I and my siblings went. And so the history behind my mother's participation in the civil rights movement, the history behind my father who served um, in the United States Army, uh, my great uncle who served in the Navy, um, it just lent to staying in place and making sure that you can do better for the generations that come behind you. I grew up in St. Petersburg where there were green benches in downtown St. Pete and we couldn't sit on them. And I remember that vividly. I grew up where um, Central Avenue was the dividing line and we could only shop on the southern side of Central Avenue, which was McCrory's Salt Shoe Store and Belk Lindsay. Um, and so to make sure that there was change when I had the ability to do so, um, was something that my parents always drove into us. The first was buy a home. Do not rent all your life. Buy a home. The second was raise your family, but make sure that your family knows the history from whence you came. My grandmother quilted and she made us quilt. I did not like doing it then, but now I understand the rationale behind it and the significance behind it. And so I get a chance to pass that down to individuals that have come behind me and, um, I am glad to be an elected official, but I think more of it as service. I'm giving back and hopefully the things that I'm able to accomplish with the help of my community and the support will lend themselves to my children. I have grandchildren now and I have a great grand. Um, and so maybe they'll have it just that much easier in life and have greater opportunities than I have. Um, and so giving back was not... Um, something that was ever an option. It was just something that was expected. Um, and I enjoy it. I really do. There are good days and bad days. Um, but every morning I wake up and say, did I make a difference on yesterday? And if not, what can I do today to make sure that I made a difference? 
So something else that we have in common here, my grandmother grew up in rural Georgia and she was the 13th of 16 children. Um, And they all lived to adulthood even. Um, They were literally dirt poor farmers. Um, So very unusual, you know, back, she was born in 1903, so it was the 13th. They were obviously born towards the end of, you know, the 1800s. But then to all live to adulthood um, was quite something interesting. Mm -hmm. Especially based on the medical issues and concerns and lack of medical care. So I know service is a passion for you and wanting to give back. Is, is, was that the driving force for your originally seeking elected office? It was twofold. The first is um, <laughs> uh, Judge Frank White, who was then attorney Frank White. He also um, represented a number of civil rights cases in St. Petersburg. His wife, Elaine, was a nurse and she worked with my mom. They both worked for Head Start. And then attorney... Frank White wanted to run for judge. And back then it wasn't the beautiful, glossy uh, palm cards we see now and the commercials and all of that. My mom and Miss Elaine made flyers on colored construction paper. And our job was to run around and put those in the doors. Back then you didn't have to ask permission, just put in the door and run. And uh, so our job was to put those in the doors and um, just seeing how eloquent he was and hearing how eloquent he was. Anyone that knew him, he stood almost seven foot tall and had a deep, very white voice, Um, but was very gentle, um, but very thoughtful and deliberate. Um, And so he ran and won. And that really piqued my interest, you know, um, because, of course, people want to ask, so what what's your uncle going to do? And, you know, and I'm answering uh, the best that I can in a childlike manner. Um, <laughs> so when I was <laughs> when I was in uh, elementary, middle and high school, I ran for student council. Um, I was the first president of student council at Azalea Middle School. And that was in the 70s, right when we were still having issues related to segregation. Um, at Dixie Hollins High School, um, I ran for student council and served to try to make a difference and bridge the gap. So I was bit by the bug early on. Sounds like it. But what really got me was uh, Mr. Louis Filia was the city council member for District 7. I bought my home in 1993. And um, the day that we were moving in, there was a neighborhood association meeting at Galilee Church. And my neighbor came across Gloria and she said, "Um, you guys come into the meeting. And I said, well, I'm trying to get moved in. I got small kids. And she said, no, you need to come to the meeting because we talk about things that are gonna improve our neighborhood. So I went to the meeting and it was packed. I met a lady named Susie Ahawk and the whole issue then was a playground. And that was one of the things that was important to me. There was no playground close by for my kids. They couldn't walk to Child's Park. I lived on 3rd and 39th. The playground was on 43rd and 10th. Um, And so I joined that bandwagon and began to learn the process, um, the slow process of what it took to get things done. Um, And so I just stayed involved. And uh, Mr. Filial came and he said, if this is what you all want, here's how you have to do it. He also knew my parents. If you lived in St. Pete, you went to Gibbs High School. And so he knew my parents. And so he said, well, Renee, stop complaining and do something about it. He said, I'm not going to run for office again. I think you should run. And I said, but, you know, I'm a new mom. I really don't have that stretch of, you know, 
uh, communications with people. And he said, stop complaining and do something about it. So I stuck to his coattail. He promised to help me. He did. He introduced me to two people, uh, Lonnie Donaldson and Ron Lowe. And they helped me on my campaign. He helped me with my talking points. He introduced me to people um, at City Hall. He helped me understand some of the processes and policy. He told me the difference between a politician and a stateswoman. Um, he just really poured into me the way that you should. Um, I ran for office against a young lady who was very well connected. She had a lot of money. I ran my campaign on $5,000. Wow. I made copies of my palm cards on um, 78 pound paper <laughs> and they were black and white. Um, and I, I really thought I wasn't going to be successful. Uh, went to all of my debates, um, tried to meet as many people as I could. I won that race by 78% of the vote. Wow. Um, and, and I immediately just started trying to keep my promise to him that I would listen to the people that I would be honest and upfront with them. And I would serve to the best of my ability. That's all he asked from me. Um, and so I've been in elected office since, served as a St. Pete City Council member for two four-year terms, got a chance to serve as a chair two times and um, vice chair, served as the president of the Florida League of Cities um, and had an opportunity to make a difference on the national stage with the National League of Cities. Um, ran for school board after the gentleman whose race I ran um, passed away unexpectedly. Um, tried to make a difference in education. I hope I did. Um, working with parents and students and teachers. And now I'm on a countywide level. So it kind of wraps all of that together. And I have a chance to meet you and some other wonderful commissioners throughout the state of Florida and also on the national level. So I got bit by the bug, um, but it was because individuals prepared me for being able to succeed sometimes and sometimes not winning on that day, but never giving up about the future. So I love that part of your story about there's always a person, isn't there? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my prayer for my daughters as they were growing up, and frankly, it really still is, was always for a person to cross their path. Because mm -hmm. that's, at least that was my experience, you know, that it took a couple of people crossing my path to really sort of catapult things. So I love that part of your story. And I know, you know, you, you're, you're leading and you're governing and you're being elected in very challenging times. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we have, there's a lot of divide mm -hmm. between us mm -hmm. right now um, as humans in this country and in this state. And that certainly trickles down to the local level. How how do you approach those challenging times? I mean, obviously, um, you know, most recently we've just come out of COVID, um, you know, and that lasted, I think, much longer than any of us yes. ever anticipated it lasting. Um, you deal with people yelling and screaming at you all the time. Um, you deal with very contentious and volatile issues, even mm -hmm. in your own community. Mm -hmm. um, how do you how do you work through those challenging times to to keep moving forward? Well, I will say this first, a lot of prayer, <laughs> because you have to be able to understand the other person's position and point of view. It doesn't necessarily mean that you agree, but you have to be open because within a person's point of view, there is some truth um, and there has to be a pathway by which the two of you can communicate. Um and so sometimes a person does want to yell, kick, and scream because I'm the closest to them. 
if they're mad at something that's going on in the federal government, they're not going up to Washington, D.C. to yell at the president of the United States. But they will see me in the grocery store. They will see me in CVS. They will see me at church. They will see me at um, my my grandchildren's school. And they have a chance to share their emotions with me. In the beginning, um, I did not handle that very well. You know, I was a newly elected official and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I slowly realized that's not going to happen. And so I have found that if I just sit back and listen and allow that person to vent um, and then once they finish venting and I'm taking in from them the key elements of their concern and their discernment, then it's so This is what I'm getting from you. So using reflection to make sure I'm understanding them and then saying, so instead of me telling you what I want to do, let's talk about how we will do this together. Because I think some people, once they elect you, they think that you have the magic bullet and you individually do not. You have to be able to work with your colleagues. You have to be able to work with staff. You need to know the policy. You need to know what the repercussions are going to be. If you change A, then what happens to B and C? Because something always happens. It's not um, within its own sphere. Um, And so that has served me well. Um, As I said in the beginning, it did not because I wasn't patient. I wasn't listening. listening. I wasn't paying attention to all points of view. And then um, not being afraid to say things that you know may not be well received. You want to please everybody because you have so many people coming at you from all areas. You want your uh, legislative ass to get through. You want your federal requests uh, to get through. You want people in the community to like you. You want to be reelected. But when sometimes what the reality is and the facts are, may be hurtful to hear, but it is what it is. You have to be willing to say that and not think about the election is going to happen in four years, but what is my job right now? And it may cost me in four years, but what is my job right now? Um, I've only lost one race, and that was when I first ran for county commission. And it was hurtful. You know, it was a countywide race, difficult to to win. But that taught me something. You know, I was hurt for a couple of days. But after that, I said to myself, so if it's not my turn, whose turn is it? And that's when I started my own business in managing candidates and helping them to navigate um, and sharing with them what I learned. And here's how I think you could be successful. And I ended up being pretty successful um, and have been pretty successful in that vein. So don't take the defeats as defeats because they're not. They are learning lessons, learning opportunities and stepping stones for whatever your next thing is in life. And when you look at it that way, you are successful. You're not defeated. Um, And so that's how I address it. Some people don't like it, you know, and I get called all kind of names sometimes. And it's okay. It really is because I have to understand where they're coming from. I may not agree, but I have to at least acknowledge. Well, and I think that theme of of, of getting to a place where you are unafraid to to speak into what the issue is, regardless of whether the message is going to be well received, certainly ties back to really the theme of this podcast. And, uh, you know, former Representative John Lewis coming across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And, um, you know, one of the things that he had with him that day was a backpack. And he had items in that backpack that were going to sustain him, frankly, for how his message 
was going to be received. And in his mind, and he was right, assumed it was not going to be well received and he would be arrested that day. And so he had two books, a piece of fruit and a toothbrush in his backpack in order to sustain him um, with the repercussions of the the message that he knew was not going to be received, but he certainly wasn't afraid to deliver it. So sort of taking that into your world, Commissioner, if if you had an actual backpack or a figurative backpack, what items would you put in that backpack to sustain you in what you do every day? Well, um, interestingly enough, I had a backpack yesterday while I was going up and down the hill because it was much easy, easier to transport the things that I needed. What I had in my backpack was my cell phone and a backup cell phone. I had a debit card. I had some cash. I had uh, a notepad in case I was not able to get a signal to utilize the Internet. But I also had um, just a little quote. Um, Every day I get up and read the Daily Word. I have to start out my day in a positive frame of mind because I do believe if you if you start it out that way, it's going to continue, even if you have challenges. Um, And so my quote on yesterday was, I am who I am and I cannot change that. You are who you are and you can change that. Um, And so as I went up on the hill and was talking to different people um, and different legislators, it just allowed me to remember that that individual has their own point of view. And however they got to become a House of Representative member or senator, that's the skill set that they have. And I have to acknowledge that. I have to respect that office. Likewise, the skill set that I have. They should acknowledge me and they should respect my office. Um, And so I didn't have any food, though. So I would have been in trouble because I didn't have a snack, but I could have shared my chewing gum and my Mentos. I could have been able to do that. I love it. I love all of that in your backpack. And so before we wrap up here, just one last thing, because you have served um, your community in multiple elected capacities and looking back on that whole career, and I realize you're still in the midst of it, but going back to the beginning, is there anything that you wish someone had told you back then? I wish someone would have um, told me the amount of time I would have to sacrifice from my family. When I served on city council, um, in the beginning, I was missing a lot with my kids. They were younger. Um, When they got into middle school, I would say, you know what? I'm going to leave this meeting because my son's running track. And I need him to see my face. My son, Jeremy, was running track at Tyrone Middle School. And he actually was fabulous, went all the way to uh, the district um, runoffs, running the 440. And a lady by the name of Cheryl Green, who used to run against me in track in high school, was his coach. But I was at that fence when he finished his race. And when he finished his race, we went and did a little celebration, whether he won or not. My son Joshua ran track and played football. I was in the stands with my jersey on with his number on my back because I wanted them to know that even though I was an elected official and um, with some level of status in the community, that they were my children and they still mattered first. 
Um, I did not do that in the very beginning. I would come home. They would already be asleep. I didn't have a chance to ask them about their day. I would go through their backpacks. I would check their homework and sign. And then in the morning, we really didn't have time to talk because I was busy getting them up, getting them out of school. Um, and they never said anything to me like, I'm getting emotional. They never said anything to me like, um, Mom, you're not here for us. You're doing for all of these other people. You're making a difference in their lives. But instead, my children went to the Florida League of Cities conferences with me. They went out in the community when we were passing out food. They were there with me. And so now guess what they do? They give back. My son, Jeremy, called me one day. He said, Mom, it just moved me. I went to the store. I bought a lot of snacks, bottled water and juices. And he went to where some homeless people hang out. And he passed out food and asked them, how are you doing? Is there anything I could do to help? He got that because early on, he was with me. So if it if I could change anything or I wish that people would have told me something, it would have been um, how to be able to manage being an elected official and providing that service to your community, but also keeping your family close. Because when I'm no longer an elected official, my family is still my family. So that would be the one. You got me crying early this morning. Awesome. <laughs> And I'm going to leave that just right there. So this is a wrap from Studio 67. I look forward to seeing you all in another Pack and Chat episode next week. Talk to you soon.